Chapter 11 of The Psychology of Alcoholism by George Barton Cuton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hypnotism and Other Cures There is considerable difference of opinion concerning the definition of the term cure when applied to alcoholism. Some go so far as to say that there is no such thing as a cure, that is, that the alcoholic never returns to a normal condition where he is able to partake of a glass of alcoholic liquor without danger of the recurrence of the impulse to excessive use. This is undoubtedly so, but it may also be true that the nervous system of the patient was such that, prior to his first glass, this same condition was present to a less degree, and this may partially account for his alcoholism. This claim of no cure, however, is an extreme view. Those who believe in physical rather than mental treatment object to the use of this term in cases where the drink impulse is annihilated, but no further treatment has been given. They claim that the drink impulse is only a symptom, and to eradicate the symptom is not to cure the disease. It seems as though here the disease theory is being exaggerated so that the term cure can only be pertinent in cases where certain remedies have been used. For example, it is asserted that such methods as religion, temperance pledges and hypnotism do not cure. They simply remove the symptom, the drink craze or impulse. The writer believes in the disease theory of alcohol as surely as its most ardent devotee, but in all that he has read on the subject, he has been unable to find any other symptom of the disease than this. In fact, as far as he can understand, this is the whole disease. And when this is eliminated, the disease as such is cured. There is in many cases a certain condition of the nervous system due to heredity, traumatism, or a variety of causes which is favorable to the development of the disease. But this is the case in all diseases. A person must be in a certain bodily state before even a cold can be contracted. But this bodily state is not the cold. Notwithstanding all that had been said concerning the disease of inebriety or alcoholism, and the drink craze or impulse only as a symptom, no one has been bold enough to assert that a person had alcoholism who had never drunk alcohol, or experienced this impulse. On the other hand, it is claimed that the disease continues after the symptom. The drink impulse is removed. The cessation of the drink impulse is not the cure. It is only a half, and remission in the progress of the disease, which will return or appear in some other states of degeneration and disease. Here is a confusion. There are some mental diseases of which the drink impulse is only a symptom, but these diseases are not or should not be called inebriety or alcoholism. If we are speaking of the latter, the above quotation in the opinion of the writer is overstated. The ravages of alcoholism upon the nervous system are fully recognized. This can be seen from chapter 2. But the results of the disease are not the disease. If deafness or blindness results from a case of fever, 20 years after the fever disappears, shall we say that the patient still has the disease because he continues to be blind or deaf? No one would say that a person is completely normal, the instant the drink impulse is removed. The degeneration of body and mind is clearly seen, and the need of recuperation is very apparent. Nothing that can be done to restore the diseased tissue to the normal condition should be neglected. Yet let us distinguish between the disease and the results of the disease, and let us recognize that the disease can be cured while the results may never all be remedied. In fact, this is the case, for the results of alcoholism are never wholly repaired. Because the dire effects of alcohol excess are recognized, the benefits of the physical treatment are apparent. The patient needs medical treatment, as other organs beside those of the nervous system are diseased, the stomach and liver being most likely to suffer. The nourishment for which the nerve cells have so long been in need can only be furnished when these organs are restored to their normal function. The assistance of bath, massage, electricity, rest, outdoor recreation, and a few drugs have proved of great benefit in eliminating the effects of the disease, after the disease itself has been cured. Sometimes it has been found that local irritation, especially of the rectum, pelvis, or sexual organs, has produced a profound nervous depression, which in persons predisposed to alcoholism causes excess. The value of surgery in these cases has been fully proved as complete recovery from inebriety has followed the operations. Any treatment which is found remedial in allowing nervous irritation or depression will be beneficial in the treatment of alcoholism. 
as the endeavor to relieve mental or physical pain frequently causes alcoholic excess. Other remedies for pain are recommended. It is rarely, if ever necessary, to try to rid the patient of his liking for the taste of alcohol. For this the alcoholic seldom has. The writer has met only one man who affirmed that he liked the taste of alcohol. Sometimes alcoholic beverages are absolutely distasteful. But the effect on the nervous system is what is desired. However great the nervous craving may be, it seldom lasts longer than ten days after the indulgence is discontinued, and never more than twenty days. Of course, under certain conditions, it may return again, and this is what it is necessary to prevent in trying to cure alcoholism. On account of the short duration of the craving, except in cases which are very severe, or where there is no desire for reform, it is not necessary to keep the alcoholic under restraint for a great length of time, but it is frequently advisable for the first few days. This largely depends on the amount of cooperation given by the patient. Restraint alone is not sufficient for a cure, but it may be a necessary prerequisite. Many institutions depend upon moral influence, social environment, and a few tonics administered to assist in building up the body during the period of rest. In a few cases, the drink impulse stops suddenly, without any apparent cause. It seems to just die out. Some patients, after they have been treated by every method, and all has been done to cure them without avail, suddenly recover. This is often concomitant with some bodily change which reacts on the nervous system, such as the climatic change in women between the ages of 40 and 50, but more frequently not even remote causes like this can be posited. Apart from the suggestive influence which they may have, the numerous specifics advertised for the cure of alcoholism are largely valueless. Besides some tonic, most of them contain a drug which produces the same stimulating feeling as that of alcohol, and may be even more harmful. As long as this is taken, alcohol is not needed, but as soon as this is discontinued, the patient again resorts to his former indulgence. As in some cases of morphinism, the remedy is simply opium in another form, and thus does away with the customary portion of the morphine. These specifics are largely substitutes, not remedies. There have lately appeared some cures of a secret character, administered by selected physicians or at certain institutions, which have had some success in curing alcohol and drug addictions. Chief among these is the Keeley cure. It has been supposed that the cure was of a suggestive character, and the physician in charge of one of the Keeley Institutes admitted this to the writer. The cure is, of course, secret, and only a surmise can be made regarding it. The following quotation may give a more accurate account of the supposed treatment. The lawyer frankly gave the details of his experience to all inquirers, and to many who did not inquire. When he first arrived at the Institute, Keeley asked him if he had in his satchel any whiskey or brandy. The answer was, I have both. Give them to me, responded the doctor. I wish you to keep on drinking as usual, but I will empty your bottles and fill them with a pure article. The bottles were filled and refilled by Keeley as fast as emptied. The craving for drink disappeared in a short time, but the orders of the doctor to keep on drinking were strictly followed, notwithstanding that nausea which attended every swallow became so severe that the very thought of the custom intoxicant excited it. The patients who, after a longer or shorter period, were dismissed from the institute, were exhorted to continue taking a certain liquid tonic which Keeley furnished, to avoid visiting saloons, and to abstain entirely from even tasting an intoxicating beverage. Keeley forewarned them that a return to their drinking habits within a week would be fatal, and that if the resumption did not take place till after a month's abstinence, their condition would be worse than before. The treatment commenced. Not a few heeded the admonition, and their reformation has continued with scarcely a lapse up to the present time. That a double chloride of gold, if there be such an orous salt, was the sole or chief drug employed by Keeley or his disciples to produce certain conditions is open to very grave suspicions. Why did he demand that the lawyer should surrender the whiskey and brandy in his possession? and drink a pure article which he claimed to possess. The attorney might have told him, but curiously enough, he did not, that his own whiskey and brandy were the 
best which money could buy in the market but the shrewd keeley knew that neither these nor the combination with the gold chloride would remove the crave nor produce the desirable nausea a sensation as hayden calls it akin to seasickness he must add to the pure substitute increasing quantities of apomorphine or some other nausea which would cause an abhorrence delightfully overwhelming that the frequent hypodermic use of strychnine with some other tonic auriferous or not kept up the strength of the patients during their three weeks treatment at the institute is highly probable that the disgust at the very thought of whiskey was not permanent is evident from the fact that when one of the reformed alcoholics ventured in a saloon and tasted an intoxicating liquor not the slightest nausea ensued and the lost crave soon returned dr thatcher in 1826 mentioned several methods which have been employed successfully to overcome the love of strong drink one of these seems to have anticipated the keeley cure he says i once tempted a negro man who was habitually fond of ardent spirits to drink some rum which i had placed in his way and into which i had put a few grains of tartar emetic the tartar sickened and puked him to such a degree that he supposed himself to be poisoned i was much gratified by observing that he could not bear the sight nor smell of spirits for two years afterwards if this account of the cure is correct and the conclusions well drawn and there seems no reason to doubt whether the cure is a suggestive one and in so far is related to hypnotic treatment the suggestion that the whiskey will nauseate the alcoholic is frequently well received and proves effective this is a rather heroic method of receiving suggestions but if it is successful in curing the alcoholic it is probably worth while if we receive this as an adequate account of dr keeley's methods it is amusing to read his arrangement of hypnotism and suggestion but this is necessary for the protection of his business personally the writer accepts the keeley cure as he does other cures he has known cases of complete recovery of long-standing where this method has been used and although there are more pleasant ways of getting suggestions the cure is the main point the efficacy of any method or of combined methods commends them for the disease has reached such serious proportions that we cannot afford to reject or discourage any method of cure because it is not our cure but cheerfully receive all the assistance regardless of the source it has not been directly within the providence of this book to discuss the physical cures we are concerned with those only which we may call mental hence the inadequate treatment of the former the testimony concerning the efficacy of physical remedies is convincing the best results should come from a combination of moral mental and physical treatment there are undoubtedly some cases which are comparatively hopeless and no treatment can help them dr crowther speaks of one class very pertinently as follows another class of cases come under medical care that are still more difficult to treat they are generally young men sons of wealthy parents and men who from bad mental surroundings bad company ignorance and neglect are periodic or continuous drinkers further some cases are almost hopeless on account of the attitude of the parents and friends the kindest wife and most indulgent parents are very much in the way of numerous cures and prove to be instead of the best friends the worst enemies the alcoholic has as palmer so well says it is often said of an inebriate in a tone of wonder and reproach that he has so good a wife one who loved and indulged him the universality of good wives to intemperate husbands suggests an inquiry into the connection they may bear and the influence they may exercise however innocently in the downfall of their husbands a good woman is not necessarily a good wife on the contrary she may be without meaning it and in spite of her conscious efforts to be otherwise a very bad wife to her husband and that in spite of her gentleness docility piety and excessive love of him and it is possible that he might not be in the position he occupies today if instead of possessing these qualities she had developed stronger even more selfish traits of character the continued exercise of the spirit of unselfishness on the wife's part has helped in no small degree to restrain the husband from denying himself in a hundred ways and all innocently but not less fatally has fanned the flames of self-indulgence until his power of resistance insidiously encroached upon by loving hands 
has finally succumbed to her persistency and his great preservative against any strong temptation to which he may be constitutionally inclined has become so weakened that he is unable to cope with the strong desire for drink when it manifests itself the subject of hypnotism and its relation to alcoholism is one which has for the past few years attracted considerable attention on account of its value in this disease which has proved so difficult for treatment by the medical profession in a meeting of the new york academy of medicine referred to in the last chapter among all the experienced and prominent physicians present there was no one who had any kind of medicine to suggest as a cure on the contrary two other forms of cure were recommended one of these conversion we have already discussed the other hypnotism we will take up now in the account of the meeting one address is reported as follows as to the treatment of inebriates the speaker dr s a knopf said that he approved of moral suasion arguments and hypnotic suggestion knowing the terrible ravages of alcoholism and hearing this testimony from men some of whom witness in alcoholic wards thousands of cases a year if hypnotism holds out a hope which medicine does not it is not strange that attention has been attracted to hypnotism in these cases in europe many successful cases are reported by eminent and trustworthy men boysen tucky Ledame, forel aden nielsen von rentergen widmer korval wetterstrand schrenk natzing bernheim and others have reported many cures of all kinds of alcoholic diseases and vices we have also good reports from mason quackenboss and others in this country the experience of the writer confirms this for in cases of dipsomania and chronic alcoholism which he has treated eighty per cent have been helped and if the time of abstinence were long enough to warrant the statement it could also be said that many of these had been complete cures the subjects treated have been almost without exception those who had tried other methods without avail they wished to be treated by hypnotism not because they had much faith in the remedial value of this method but because it was the last resort they might be classed as hopeless cases it might be stated in this connection that hypnotism is not the grand panacea which some persons suppose it will not cure regardless of circumstances it is not a super mundane prohibitive the experience of the writer with hundreds of persons who were sufferers directly or indirectly from alcoholism shows the current mistaken ideas on the subject by the most intelligent people a lady may call and desire her husband treated without his knowledge or presence men come of their own volition and wish to be compelled to stop drinking they attend that it shall be a battle royal their appetite on one side the power of the rider on the other their part will be that of the spectators of the fray they hope that the power will win providing it does not cause them any inconvenience or another may be willing to come once submit to the force and leave the house entirely cured he expects a habit which has been continued for twenty to fifty years to be cured in from ten to fifteen minutes hypnotism is only a help to the patient in very few if any cases can the patient be forced to renounce alcohol cases to be quoted later will show this a person must wish to be cured to get the best and most frequently any result this is the almost universal testimony of all persons who have had any experience with alcoholics regardless of the method of treatment nothing that the patient or his friends can do to help should be despised for all means possible should be used but as forel says hypnotism enables the drunkard to take the first step towards reformation and cure and this is most frequently the difficult part of the process and what seems the greatest drawback to the cure of alcoholism by hypnotism and all of the cures except that by religious conversion is the fact that the patient is surrounded by the same environment after he has been treated even the strongest form of suggestion of a hypnotic nature when given for a few minutes daily or weekly can hardly hope to complete with the legion of suggestions which the environment inevitably gives here is one way in which religious conversion excels hypnotism as a method of treatment it gives a new environment different companions a place to spend a portion at least of the spare time and a new train of thoughts the life changed in other respects must inevitably carry with it a change in respect to environment also
notwithstanding the great disadvantage under which hypnotism works the number and character of the cures by this method are really marvelous quotations like the following are testimony to the efficacy of this method of treatment i have treated during the last twelve years nearly two hundred cases of chronic alcoholism and found hypnotic suggestion has proved completely curative in about one-third of these this is a good result considering that in no case was the patient confined in a retreat or kept away from his home or business longer than a month in nearly all cases i have seen partial or temporary success and in many instances where there was relapse cure would i think have resulted had circumstances been more favorable since i came to london about ten years ago i have treated seventy-six cases of dipsomania and chronic alcoholism by means of hypnotic suggestion a recoveries twenty-eight cases recovered by this i mean that the patient ceased drinking during treatment and that as far as i have been able to learn they have remained total abstainers to the present date or to that of the last report received although the earliest of these cases has now passed nearly ten years without relapse i should not describe the patient as cured for it is possible the disease might return one of my patients relapsed after eight years total abstinence of the above twenty-eight cases seventeen were males eleven females the average age was forty average number of hypnotic treatments thirty average length of time since recovery three years all the patients in this class as well as in the two other groups belong to the educated classes b cases improved these numbered thirty six twenty six males and ten females average age thirty nine average number of hypnotic treatments thirty two average length of time since treatment three and a half years the results obtained in this class varied widely the best case abstained for eight years then relapsed but has now again abstained for six months in a considerable portion of the remainder of the improvement has been marked and valuable several other patients who formerly lived lives of drunkenness are now engaged in useful work and only drink at rare intervals c failures these numbered twelve ten males and two females average age forty three average number of hypnotic treatments twenty in the majority of the above cases it was impossible to get patients to cease drinking during treatment which in six out of twelve was very short in more than one instance however although the treatment was prolonged and carried out under the favorable conditions no benefit was obtained the conditions necessary for cures are two in number first a willing subject and second a subject susceptible to hypnotic suggestions by the first condition is not meant a passively willing subject but an actively willing subject one who is desirous of being cured and who will do all that he can to further the cure two cases by the way of example may be cited d f a brass worker aged thirty nine parents both have stainers knew nothing of grandparents he began drinking at the age of twenty three and after one year of moderate drinking began to drink heavily continued to do so until he entered new haven as a tramp not having anywhere to sleep he applied to calvary industry home and was there given assistance he was brought to the writer for treatment after being without alcohol for eight days he proved to be an excellent subject and went into deep sleep in four minutes after watching one other subject who was hypnotized appropriate suggestions were given regarding alcohol and also tobacco the latter being freely used by the patient a post-hypnotic suggestion was given to the effect that he would give his pipe and tobacco to the superintendent of the home the suggestion was carried out as directed it should be taken into consideration that although the patient did not object to coming for treatment yet he consented largely on account of the solicitations of the superintendent with whom it was desirable for all the inmates of the home to be on good terms from this time august sixth until november thirteenth he was hypnotized twenty-nine times and during that time did not touch alcohol or tobacco although he had ample opportunity to obtain both one of the suggestions given most frequently was that alcohol in any form would nauseate him not long after this treatment was stopped he went to a neighboring town where he had lived for some years during which time he had had most of his drinking experience here he met a number of his boon companions whom he had not seen for some time and the only way 
for them to show him their joy in his return was to treat him to beer he drank some and became violently sick vomiting in an alarming manner this however did not prevent his taking more the more he drank the more sick he became until he was taken home and the physician summoned he was in bed for four days not able to retain either food or drink until as he told the writer he thought he was going to die he did not repeat the experiment for some time but finally after several unsuccessful attempts he was able to drink again he had no craving for alcohol but simply wished to be sociable when invited to drink he learned in the same way as a boy learns to smoke smoking and vomiting but being determined to learn he overcomes the nausea and by continued attempts he is able to indulge freely another case somewhat similar shows the same phenomena t h twenty nine years of age a laborer both parents living and healthy neither of whom had drank he began drinking when he was fourteen years of age for the last ten years had been drinking to excess he drank any kind of alcoholic liquor but preferred whiskey he went on a spree as often as he had money and stopped drinking only when he could not get anything more to drink at the solicitation of mr butterfield superintendent of calvary industrial home he consented to be treated and mr butterfield brought him to the writer first on august tenth he was a good subject going into deep sleep in fourteen minutes the first attempt he was hypnotized eighteen times before october sixth both alcohol and tobacco were renounced during this time and for a few succeeding weeks he then went to work in a hotel where he was surrounded by alcohol all the time and started to drink again he met with the same success as the former patient he became very sick and vomited severely again and again he tried until he finally succeeded in getting drunk enough to be arrested and committed to prison on the charge of drunkenness and disorderly conduct these seem to be test cases regarding the necessity of a desire for a cure for both men were good subjects they performed post-hypnotic feats according to the suggestions given during hypnosis and received suggestions which produced negative hallucinations as well as positive ones both hypnotically and post-hypnotically the hypnosis was followed by complete amnesia there was no craving for drink at any time after the first treatment and even after they started to drink had either of them had a desire to stop drinking nothing would have been easier it was far easier to stop than to begin again notwithstanding the terrible vomiting and nausea while they were yet sober and able to appreciate the full effect they preserved until they were able to drink and from there it was an easy stage to the old condition of continued drunkenness if any one is determined to drink he will do so regardless of the means used to prevent him providing he can get access to alcohol in any way this then is laid down as principle in order to be able to effect a permanent cure the subject must be actively willing he must want to be cured enough to help himself the other requisite stated was that he must be hypnotizable there is a number of persons both temperate and intemperate who are refractory to hypnotism and it is still a mute question whether the inebriate is more or less susceptible to its influence on account of his alcoholism alcohol no doubt lessens self-control and makes men weak-minded and so some have thought that inebriates must be more easy to hypnotize but this may not be so because it is not a general fact so far as i know that the weak-minded are the most easy to hypnotize nor that women are more easy to succeed with than men fortunately we do not have to depend upon a priori reasoning to determine that whether the alcoholic is more easily hypnotized we have the facts of experience to resort to alcoholized persons are generally good subjects for treatment but i have never succeeded in hypnotizing a person for the first time in a state of intoxication it is necessary to wait until the first effect of the stimulant has passed off drunkards are fortunately easy to hypnotize we wyametsky has found that these patients alcoholics are easily hypnotized besides these statements many others speak in the same way and the experience of the writer is very decided in substantiated the statement that alcoholics are easier to hypnotize than persons generally only one dissenting voice has been noticed unfortunately chronic alcoholism renders its victim very hard to hypnotize we know not how it happened that mr myers 
has had this experience for it seems to the writer to lead undoubtedly to a mistaken conclusion it is necessary of course to distinguish as mr tuckey does between the intoxicated person and the chronic alcoholic it is generally admitted that intoxicated persons are difficult to hypnotize but quite as generally with this one exception that alcoholics are good subjects there is one further statement which the writer has not been able to verify but which would seem very true viz i have noticed in more than one case that the best time to make an attempt to hypnotize is very shortly after a bout of drunkenness and that the patient is less easily hypnotized the longer he is kept sober this may be true for two reasons not only because he is organically in a more favorable condition for hypnosis but because at this time he has a period of remorse and is much ashamed of his conduct he submits readily to any suggestion is willing and may be anxious to be cured thus he fulfills the conditions for hypnosis better two psychological questions arise here first why should it be difficult to hypnotize a person who is in a state of intoxication and second why should an alcoholic be easily hypnotized the answers to both of these questions will be determined by our ideas of the nature of hypnotism both psychically and physically before trying to answer these questions two cases with which the writer has experience will be given these cases are interesting because of the success attending the efforts of the writer when such an experienced operator as mr tuckey has failed reference is made of two cases of persons who were hypnotized while in a state of intoxication although mr tuckey distinctly states twice in his book one quotation of which is given above that he has never been able to hypnotize a person who was intoxicated at the time if he had not previously been hypnotized the reader is already acquainted with the first case as he appears in the experiments recorded in chapter on will and there his records can be consulted the subject thomas duck was known as jim the penman because he went from house to house selling pens and in the days when his hand was more steady he earned considerable money by writing names on visiting cards for he was an excellent penman the writer met him on sunday evening march twenty fifth nineteen hundred at the yale mission he looked very badly and was partially intoxicated he said that he had been on a spree for three weeks and for the previous two nights i've had him referring to delirium tremens the writer was on his guard concerning the trustworthiness and truthfulness of alcoholics in general and mission frequenters in particular but his appearance testified to the truth of his statements and they were partially confirmed by others arrangements were made to meet the next day at a designated place but he was warned to be sure to come sober as soon as he appeared on the following day his intoxication was noticeable and on his being accused of not being sober he finally admitted to having taken eight drinks of whiskey this was probably an understatement and it was then only half past one o'clock in the afternoon he said he had him again the night previous and had to take a drink or two to brace up and further as election was coming on the ward politicians were all treating and he was a voter the writer had difficulty in getting him to make the experiments once he disarranged and disconnected the apparatus so by his violent movements that the experiments had to be repeated he was taken to the office of dr w g anderson where he was examined his heart was very irregular his pulse at a hundred and twelve and he was exceedingly nervous he was placed in an easy chair and told to look at a bright blue marble he did so and after considerable twitching of the muscles all over his body he slept he was not very suggestible and principally on account of his nervous condition he awoke easily he was allowed to sleep for fifteen minutes some post-hypnotic suggestions were given to him and he was awakened his heart was then quite regular and his pulse registered eighty a decrease of thirty-two beats he said that he felt much better he was then allowed to go but the post-hypnotic suggestions were not carried out the other case was that a man of twenty-eight years of age a laborer his father who had been a heavy drinker was dead he had eight brothers all of whom drank he began drinking when thirteen years old and had been drinking ever since with the exception of three years when he was converted and joined the church he drank mostly whiskey and absinthe 
He had just started on a spree and had been drinking all the morning. A friend found him and took him riding around town for a while, trying to get him sober and to keep him from drinking. When he came to the house of the rider, he was in great distress because of his intense desire for drink. He was seated comfortably and went into a sound sleep in three minutes. It was suggested to him that he would feel hungry instead of thirsty, and that on awakening there would be no desire for drink. It was also suggested that he would not drink any more. After he was awakened, he was asked how he felt, to which he replied, I feel much better. Do you feel like having a drink? No, but I feel awful hungry. I haven't had anything to eat today. He was then supplied with some food, which he ate with apparent relish and went away. That afternoon he succeeded in continuing his spree, so that he was completely intoxicated by evening, and drank until some misdemeanor committed. During intoxication, he is now serving a term in prison. These cases are interesting for two reasons. They show that occasionally a person can be hypnotized when intoxicated, and further, they show that the suggestions given under such conditions are of little or no value. With these two exceptions, the writer has no better success than Mr. Tucky, one glass of beer frequently interfering with the attempt so that the person was not the least affected. The instructions invariably given by the writer are as follows. Come without having taken either alcohol or coffee, for the inhibitory effect of either is recognized. We must now return to the answer of the two questions which was deferred in order to give these two cases. The answer, as was said, would depend upon our idea of the nature of hypnosis. Most answers which have been given are descriptive rather than explanatory. Supposing that the quite popular theory of Mr. Myers is accepted and hypnosis is considered a disseverance of consciousness, the consciousness giving place to the subconscious, the question naturally arises, why does the mind so function? It may be said, again, that it is a disseverance of consciousness and that memory is the factor which makes the trouble. But again the question, why does memory behave thus? We may dally with the word suggestion until we make suggestion its own progenitor, but the question still comes, why does suggestion cause these phenomena? Giving the phenomena another name does not help us in the explanation. Let us consider the common analogy of natural sleep. The conditions both psychically and physically are very similar. We can find a very common example of hypnotism in natural sleep, in the mother and the child. The mother goes to sleep in rapport with the child. The most severe thunderstorm does not affect her in the least. Through the slamming of doors and the trampling of feet, she sleeps deeply and serenely. Let the baby breathe hard or make the least sound and she is awake instantly. Or if the child is in her arms, she draws it to her. To a limited extent, she tends it and never injures it in any way. She is conscious as the hypnotized person is conscious of certain things, although both will probably forget them when they wake. Certain drugs which induce sleep will also induce hypnosis, as example given. Chloroform, passiflora, etc., and the conditions favorable for sleep are also favorable for hypnotism. Further, one can frequently be changed into the other. Physically, it seems as though there is a great similarity, and to the physical we go for the explanation of the phenomena of hypnotism, at least in part. The phase of the physical which throws on hypnotism the most light, at least according to the judgment of the writer, is the blood supply. It is not contended that hypnotism is going to be fully explained by the change in the encephalic circulation, but it is believed that this change in the circulation can help to clear up the difficulty. We know that the change of blood supply is very necessary in normal sleep, and this suggests the explanation. Wundt suggests the blood supply is a factor in the phenomena. Also Sully, Carpenter, Tuke, and Lehman agree that this is the solution of the riddle. Not unlikely some of these investigators claim too much for this one factor, failing to recognize its limitations and difficulties. Heidenhain at first accepted this explanation, but later rejected it for the following reasons. 1. Hypnotism appeared in spite of the inhalation of nitrite of a meal, which causes hyperemia. 2. There are no changes in the vessels in the back of the eyes during hypnosis. 3. Salvioli and Bouchut found cerebral hyperemia during hypnosis. These reasons are sufficient to cause us to reject the theory of total anemia of the brain, if anyone claimed that, but hardly sufficient to reject the theory of partial anemia. No doubt some portions of the brain are in a condition of hyperemia, while the other portions are anemic. The supply of blood being less than ordinary, if what remains is taken 
to one portion of the brain the other parts have less so much less as to force the anemic parts into a condition of inactivity in hypnotism the condition of the encephalic circulation may now be considered analogous to that of the atmosphere with a low barometric pressure it is mobile and disposed to storms if attracted in one direction it is determined strongly then the very momentum with which the blood surges in that special direction reacts on and strengthens function if it be toward an idealation center some particular idea may so monopolize the consciousness that the judging faculty is almost as completely in abeyance as in ordinary dreaming this would partially at least explain the disseverance of consciousness and if the theory of subconscious is accepted this would be an important element in the explanation also further it would tend to explain the anemia which most frequently follows hypnotism it is on this basis that an attempt will be made to show why the chronic alcoholic is easily hypnotized and the intoxicated person difficult to hypnotize it was shown when dealing with the physiological part of the discussion that on account of the growth of the arteries the normal amount of blood does not reach the brain this would keep it an anemic condition and thus make it favorable to hypnosis on the other hand intoxication causes an increased circulation and sending more blood to the brain would cause hyperemia this would be unfavorable to hypnosis and therefore make the intoxicated person difficult to hypnotize this is only one factor but an important factor even accepting james theory that the change in the circulation is the result not the cause of the altered activity of the nervous matter it would make little difference in the relation of alcoholism to hypnotism if the effect were easily obtained there would be less trouble in furnishing the cause in fact the effect would suggest the cause those who hold to the chemical theory of sleep could also apply it to hypnotism and could assist us in our explanation there is nothing to prevent the two theories that of change in the circulation and that of change in the chemical constitution of the blood going side by side in alcoholism the subject has as we know the quality as well as the quantity changed so that this would be favorable to hypnotism if hypnotism and sleep are allied conditions the increased circulation of intoxication would tend to the purification of the blood by removing the waste products and thereby prevent hypnosis in certain emotional states when the circulation is very active both hypnosis and sleep are impossible as was said when dealing with the subject of alterations of personality the alcoholic has the consciousness dissevered so frequently in so much of his time that when disseverance comes in another way example given when hypnotism is suggested it is readily induced on account of his habit there is considerable resemblance between the drunkard and the hypnotic they will both personify some character both are suggestible both are hyperesthetic and a small thing may be exaggerated by both they are both lower states of being and both are easily deluded the resemblance is so great that some opponents of hypnotism have termed it teetotal intoxication there is noticeable difference however in intoxication we have the nervous system involved in the inverse order of its evolution but in the lighter grades of hypnotism we do not find that the higher psychical functions are so much affected as of motion and sensation with all the agreement between the two states it is not strange that a person used to one could easily acquire the other the method used by the writer to induce hypnosis is not different enough from those of other operators to require more than passing notice every operator has some special factors in his methods of which he must also have a variety seating the subject comfortably in his chair the attention is directed to some object which is bright and causes a slight strain on the eyes usually there is used a piece of apparatus similar to that employed by some european operators which has been improved by the writer a piece of tin or zinc covered with velvet fits over the forehead to which is fashioned at one end a piece of elastic to the other a hook at the other end of the elastic are several eyes so that the elastic can be shortened or lengthened according to the size of the head the zinc is thus kept in place by the elastic in the middle of the zinc is placed vertically a square socket into which fits a short piece of brass which is joined to the end of a piece of fuse wire on the other end of which is a nickel ball this wire can be bent into any position and the ball adjusted so as to be of the most use in tiring the eyes the piece of brass can be removed from the socket 
so that the apparatus is in two pieces and thus more easily carried in the pocket after this apparatus is in place the subject is told to look at the ball which will soon make him sleepy and in the manner so familiar to all he soon goes to sleep methods are varied with different subjects and frequently no apparatus is used the suggestions are of three different classes destructive constructive and physiological the destructive suggestions are to effect that he must not drink any more that alcoholic drinks are harmful to him that he does not care for either the taste or effects of the liquor and that he has given up drinking altogether drinking is ruining his family his health and his business and he must not continue it he must keep away from the persons who drink liquor in the places where it is kept as alcohol is a poison anyone offering to him is his enemy and is doing him injury these and any other suggestions which will destroy his desire for alcohol may be used many of which may be invented for the particular case if the house is left empty it may become so filled as to leave the last state of the man worse than the first we must therefore make constructive suggestions of which the following are examples he is very much engrossed with his family and business he has developed a great fondness for reading or attending church he likes to associate with persons who do not drink he attends the baseball games or rides in the park he is now happy and cheerful and has attained control over himself he is no longer the slave but the master his ideals are higher now he wants to set a good example and help everyone to do right he is confident in his power to continue in the way he has started etc any suggestion which will assist him to construct a new line of thought in a new environment so as to prevent his thinking about drinking by doing something else should be used the physiological suggestions are very important the suggestion of nausea if any alcohol is drunk and that the taste of all alcoholic drinks will be like wormwood or castor oil or anything that is known to be obnoxious to the subject a suggestion of the paralysis of the arm if the patient tries to convey a glass of liquor to his mouth or an inability to swallow liquor may be helpful auxiliary suggestions to improve the general health are also beneficial such as those regarding digestion appetite action of the bowels immunity from headache or any other ailment which hypnosis can aid all three classes of suggestions should be continued for a few weeks regularly so as to help the patient to get accustomed to the new surroundings if there is a craving as in the case of the regular drinker suggestions regarding this should be given but at most this lasts not more than ten days in a severe form after regular treatment has been stopped occasional treatments are no doubt beneficial in addition to the suggestions given by the operator it has been found advantageous to have the patient give himself suggestions mason and quackenboss have both used auto suggestion in their cases with considerable success the patient should give himself suggestions similar to those given by the operator just as he is going to sleep at night and in this way much the same result will follow as in hypnotism if it is correct that hypnotism is closely allied to natural sleep we can well see the benefit of such a course this is generally used as an auxiliary to hypnotism but in cases where hypnosis is not practical it has proved effective at times the writer has tried auto-suggestion on himself in minor difficulties with considerable success Duke made the unpleasant operation of having a tooth extracted almost painless by mentally repeating how delightful and lebeau cured himself of facial neuralgia by autosuggestion this is the principle of christian science and other faith cures it is one characteristic of hypnotism which is very valuable in cases of the nature of alcoholism that it is much easier to reform persons and lead them than it is to debase them and lead them to do evil it is much easier to restore moral rectitude to a somnambulist who has fallen therefrom than to pervert the integrity of character of a woman of high moral standing one reason for this is that the hypnotized person is never devoid of will hypnotic actions are always voluntary actions in the wider sense of the word mr gurney reports a case which clearly shows this i was recently experimenting with a youth who had formerly been a telegraph boy and who had taken a strong dislike for the metier when hypnotized he was at the mercy of any suggestion or command except one nothing would induce him to carry a telegram the refusal was unaffected by considerations 
which would certainly have reversed it in his normal state example given when he was told that the matter was one of life and death and that he should have twenty pounds for the job the will that remains in hypnosis being directed in the best ways receives an environment from suggestion and is strengthened the patient is thus enabled to overcome the force of habit and external suggestion dr a forel gives a case which was of such long standing and so unpromising and yet resulted so successfully that an epitome of it will be given the man who was confirmed in alcoholism was brought to him he was seventeen years old having spent nine years in an asylum and had twice tried to commit suicide whenever he had an opportunity he would drink to madness while in the asylum was a great care always making trouble for himself and inciting other inmates to acts of violence and rebellion after dr forel had hypnotized him a few times he seemed like another person he became quiet and tractable he gave up his allowance of wine and to crown all united with the temperance society which he had hitherto opposed and condemned three cases of the writer's experience will close the chapter the first one is the case of the longest standing which the writer has treated the second is the case of alcoholism of longest standing which the writer has stopped and the third is a case which has value in itself worthy of recitation mr x thirty-six years old father and mother both drank the former very hard patients started drinking when twelve years of age and when twenty-four drank very heavily drank beer mostly but usually finished the day on whiskey drank regularly every day about one year and a half before applying for treatment he had taken the keeley cure and remained sober afterwards for four months at the time of coming for treatment he was drinking about two quarts of beer and whiskey every day taking about an equal number of drinks of each every inducement was offered on the other hand and threats of various kinds were made on the other hand to compel him to stop drinking but they were powerless to help him early in september nineteen hundred he came to the writer in the evening partially intoxicated he became a little drowsy and his eyes were closed by the writer appropriate suggestions were made and he went away he was hypnotized every day for two weeks then every other day for about the same length of time at no time did he get beyond a light sleep and most of the time it was a little more than drowsiness at the ninth day all craving and taste for a liquor was gone and from the first day he did not taste a drop of any kind of alcoholic liquors he had twenty treatments in all he seems hardly to have been more deeply hypnotized than mrs c in the case quoted by bramwell but the effect was all that could be desired mr k aged fifty nine father and mother both drank and his father's relatives drank mr k's children drank also his father kept a tavern and the patient started drinking when ten years old and has been drinking ever since with the exception of five years beginning twenty years ago he drinks whiskey here is a case of forty-nine years standing the first time he came he went into a deep sleep and after that all desire was gone after the second visit he went into saloons while about his business but had not the least desire for alcohol in any form scratch this was three years ago and when last heard of was abstemious many other cases equally successful could be given but these will suffice as examples to show the value of hypnotism to alcoholism the following case is one of special interest and value from a psychological point of view a very meager outline of the case will be given except in so far as it deals directly with dipsomania john kinzel was born on a farm in central new england in eighteen seventy three the family history as far as alcoholism is concerned is as follows maternal grandfather great-grandfather great-uncles all drank heavily but neither his mother nor any of her brothers or sisters drank all the kinsels his fathers drank and do yet only two however drank to excess viz john's uncle and cousin mr kinsel the father makes about twelve barrels of cider every fall and uses it regularly toward spring it gets pretty hard he drinks about eight or ten glasses per day but he was never intoxicated in his life in the summer at hang time cider brandy augments the stock of cider his drinking is like that of the new england farmer of fifty or one hundred years ago john drank cider at home when a boy but was never intoxicated except once 
when seven years of age his mother being away he climbed up in the pantry took from the shelf some cider brandy and drank enough to intoxicate him he never drank anything but cider and this cider brandy until he was fourteen when he had a glass of beer when twenty-one years old being in the sophomore class in college he drank on one occasion beer and wine and on another occasion claret lemonade on the former of these occasions he became happy the following summer he drank cider at home during his sophomore year he developed a double personality he would pass into an abnormal state during which he would remember all of his normal state and all previous experiences in the abnormal state that is in the abnormal state he would remember all his life but when he returned to the normal state again the abnormal state would be a blank to him while in these abnormal states his character was much changed showing itself in no way more prominently than in his appetite for alcoholic drinks in his junior year he only drank when in these abnormal states he drank mostly beer very little of which would intoxicate him in the summer vacation between his junior and senior years he drank nothing not even the cider at home in the senior year the abnormal states became more frequent and lasted longer during this year he drank a great deal but only in the abnormal states except that sometimes he would come out of the abnormal state into the normal partially intoxicated then he would continue drinking in the normal state never was the drinking initiated in the normal state he smoked much when normal and nearly constantly when abnormal during the summer vacation following graduation he drank twice both times during his abnormal state and both times he was very much intoxicated in the autumn following his graduation he entered a divinity school and there drank someone abnormal not sufficient to get intoxicated but enough to smell it after he came to himself after leaving the divinity school in january the following year he drank cider somewhat while normal as well as during the abnormal state and this is the first of a desire to drink when normal this desire was gratified by cider he also smoked very heavily during this time in april of that year in eighteen ninety eight he went fishing with some men who had wine and whiskey and here we have his first voluntary intoxication he drank cider all that summer and autumn but not to intoxication and continued very light or no drinking during the following winter spring and summer the following autumn eighteen ninety nine he drank considerable cider becoming once intoxicated and also became intoxicated on beer the next winter he became happy several times on cider drank cider all the spring and summer and in the early fall developed a true dipsomania with monthly periods which continued all the fall and winter the last one being on march nineteenth nineteen o one on march twentieth he came to the rider for treatment he had had two drinks that morning but as he had previously been hypnotized and was an excellent subject no difficulty was experienced in inducing hypnosis he slept deeply and appropriate suggestions were given he came again the following day and on april sixteenth seventeenth and eighteenth the last three being just previous to the time for his next outbreak he went away and the next day the craving appeared on time contrary to suggestion he went to a saloon and procured a glass of beer went to another and got another glass he went into a third saloon purchased and drank a third glass of beer when he began to know he expressed it here feel or remember i can't tell which it seemed like all three what had been suggested to him the following day he sent a letter to the writer containing the exact words of the suggestions given to him showing that they all came back to him as soon as he began to hear apparently away off in the distance the words of the suggestions to him he became very sick and vomited violently he was sick the whole day and could not take anything more to drink nor did he want it he disliked alcohol in any form on june second again he came and was hypnotized from that time until november for six months he did not touch any kind of intoxicating liquors but then he got a quart of whiskey and became intoxicated for three years he had no desire for alcohol and where the smell of liquor used to engender a great desire for drink it later had no effect or if any it was distasteful when examining him in the hypnotic condition after this he said that the reason he drank when he was in the abnormal state was that it seemed all right for him to do so he had had none of the scruples which were ever present in the normal state when these monthly dipsomaniacal spells would come on the identical feeling reappeared 
so he went and drank because it seemed the right thing for him to do in the case of louis v mr meyer says though he had before the attack of double personality been a total abstainer he now not only drank his own wine but stole the wine of other patients this shows a common tendency in the abnormal states of these two persons thus the double personality and alcoholism interact not only does alcoholism cause a phenomenon of double personality as shown in a previous chapter but the double personality causes alcoholism or dipsomania as shown by the case cited here perhaps it might be a better statement to say that they are both expressions of a common disorder this case also shows the value of hypnotism and dipsomania something else is very interesting and well worthy of notice in the reappearance of the suggestions usually the alcoholic becomes sick and if the hypnosis has been deep enough to cause amnesia he does not know why he is sick but although in this case there was complete amnesia after hypnosis the exact words of the suggestions were sent to the writer by the subject being remembered during the sickness and afterwards the physical treatment given by some sanitaria has proved very beneficial to a great number of alcoholics rest a little medication and even surgery have helped in restoring almost hopeless inebriates any method which is beneficial is welcome hypnotism as a promising field has been much used during the past half century with considerable success but it is only a help and not a prohibitive the two conditions of success in this form of treatment are active cooperation on the part of the subject and a hypnotizable person with which to deal the alcoholic is usually easily hypnotized on account of the frequent disseverance of consciousness when drunk and the condition of the blood various methods of hypnotizing are used and suggestions given all tending to destroy the old conditions and implant new associations end of chapter 11 end of the psychology of alcoholism by george barton Cuton.